Hawkeye Self Storage in Danville has electricity hookups, 14-foot-tall doors, and 60-foot drive lanes, private bays, interior and exterior lighting with 24-7 access gated entry. They also feature indoor RV and boat storage with three locations, 1303 East County Road 200 South in Danville, 7410 West U.S. 36 in Danville, and 2238 West U.S. Highway 36 in Danville. More information can be found by calling their phone number at 31. 31- 745-2700 or by going to their website hawkeyestorageunits.com What's happening brothers and sisters this is Chips and Up you're listening to my friend Alan in Brownsburg, Indiana 98.9 FM turn it up This is Sights and Sounds with Alan Kiger Alan is a Hendricks County native that talks with your favorite entertainers This is where Alan hangs out with music royalty. Sights and Sounds is sponsored by Hawkeye Storage in Danville. And now your host, Alan Kiger. This is Sights and Sounds Promotions. I'm your host, Alan Kiger. And my guest today is three-time NHRA Top Fuel Champion, Larry Dixon. Larry, how you doing today? Doing great, Alan. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for being my guest. Larry, let's let's go way back to when you knew that you wanted to be a drag racer for a living? Oh, gosh. Um, I, I know, uh, I don't know about the living part, but um, when I was a kid, my dad raced top fuel cars in the 60s and 70s, and I just, I really looked up to him, and I just, I wanted to race, you know, cars like he did. And uh, I didn't really realize that you could make a living at it until later on, you know, you, we would just go to the drag races. It seemed like two or three times a month. I grew up in Southern California, so they, there was a lot of racetracks in the area. So you're, you're literally going all the time. He had a regular job. And then, you know, on Sunday nights or whatever, you pack everything up and then you drive through the night and to get back home so you know, the kids could go to school and he could go back to work but but then what later on you know I'm, I'm probably I'm going to say 10 12 years old at that time I see these other people they're not driving through the night to to go home to their jobs you know like a Garlitz or a, a Shirley Muldowney or a Snake Mongoose you know that that was their job so they they service their cars at the track on Monday and they drive to the next race. And I was like, wow, that would be, that would be awesome somehow <laughs> if I could pull that off. So I think I spent the next, you know, five or six years, uh, through school trying to figure out how, uh, I could, I could do that for a living. And, and it, for me, it started out on, um, on a pit crew, you know, uh, on the nitro cars, top fuel cars, funny cars and the like, and then kind of snowballed into the driving, but, but real young, uh, from that standpoint is when I, Figured that's I. I didn't know how I was going to get there, but that's definitely what so I wanted to do. You definitely had this dream as a young kid. You knew oh. whether it was for a living. You knew that's what you wanted to do. This was this was the path I was going to follow. Were you a? You just said you, know, you you took off on the weekends. Were you were you a hard student at school because you had you know racing on the brain and you couldn't wait to get out and go racing and school was secondary or did your dad make sure that. You know that he that you put school first and raced on the weekend. How did that work out? I mean, schoolwork for me uh, was fairly easy, unless I had a like literally re- the the reading part. But I mean, the math and and um, the other classes were they came pretty easy. 
Um, but it didn't grab my attention. I mean, not, not like cars. I mean, every one of my notebooks had a picture of a dragster on it or something. So like, it just, (laughs) it it was, I don't know. It, it definitely a different era than now. I, I, it seemed like when I was a kid, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, you know, you're the police officer and the fireman and the astronaut and all that. But mine is, you know, always been top fuel cars. Okay. Well, we're the same age. We're both 54. I hope it's okay to say that on the air. Um, you talk about that and you talk about school being easy and you were into the racing. And I remember we had book covers that you would put on your books. Was it the same way in Southern California? Did you go to the army recruiting office and get a, get covers for your books of drag racers or was that an Indiana thing? Yeah, no, I mean, we, you know, we had book covers and stuff like that. And to be honest with you, most of the time we'd use the, the, the brown grocery bags, (laughs) right. And then you'd cut them up and fold them up and then you draw whatever you know like you were into you know people would put bands or music or whatever okay. like that mine always had race cars okay well, I, I remember going to the army recruiting store in, in danville I, I believe which is where the visit Hendricks county is now and i can't remember which drag racer was it was a funny car but oh it'd be it'd be don perdome with okay the, that's with what the, i was thinking but i didn't want to sound I mean, yeah but no, i remember sure. having those you know third fourth fifth grade that was yeah. a, that was a big deal oh yeah no so, I, I i remember mail you could mail in some of these pamphlets that would come in the you know the hot rod magazine or car craft and stuff like that and they'd get the the posters you know uh, of you know snake's funny car and i remember doing that and getting that in the mail and actually got it i start, i got it framed in my my game room that that poster actually okay when you when you started working for don the snake perdone was it you already knew him from hanging around going to the races with your dad or was this a hard sell to get started because i know you started young and from there how do you how do you say hey i want to work on the car and go from there to driving the car it it well i i mean i knew of perdome i mean i have a picture of him when i you know i was 4 or 5 years old and you know a picture with him but it wasn't like we ran in the same circles, you know, like, so, um, my dad retired from, uh, racing in 1979. So that, that kind of put me in junior high school or, uh, middle school. So I had a tough time, um, getting to the track. So I would, I would, there was enough racing teams, not like Brownsburg, but, but uh, at the time where I grew up, that I could actually hitch a ride with some of the teams to some of the local races, meaning like Bakersfield or Orange County or Irwindale and the like. So I would hitch a ride. But it was with the, mostly with the crew guys. It wasn't necessarily with Snake. I, I, could, ride my, I could ride my bicycle over to his shop, and uh, you know, a couple of his crew guys would literally give me a ride to the track, and you know, Snake would show up, you know, not in the rig, and I'd go that way. I and to be honest with you, I don't know that he even knew I was doing that. But but I and I didn't brag about it either. So I just went and did that. Um, but but later on, they actually had a guy um, quitting the team, and um, they were looking for help. And I was in the same town as him, so it wasn't like they would have to put me up in a hotel room or something like that over the win over the winter. So it just, uh, um, I think, it, I mean, it worked for both sides. And then on my end, the, the couple teams that I'd worked with before, I'd have to locate to wherever they were based at. So then I wasn't home. So I mean, this it, it kind of worked uh, for me. I mean, he was racing funny cars at the time. I hadn't ever been around funny cars at all. It was mostly top fuel cars. So. 
I really, so they called up and they're looking for somebody uh, uh, to crew. And um, I, I kind of fit the suit, so to speak, from, from that standpoint and uh, went to work there. And, and for me, like I said, it worked out great. The way the schedule was at the time, you, you, you'd, you'd work at our shop in California basically all through the winter. And then about March, you'd leave for Gainesville, Florida. And then from there, you're on the road not running always NHRA events. There was a lot of exhibition events filling up the gap in the schedule, and, and that's how teams would supplement their their income because I'm going to guess there was maybe 16 races or, or, or so on the schedule. And we'd stay on the road till the first week of October. It was like right after the Dallas event. Then you'd drive them back to California, and then you're pretty much home for six months. So it, it worked really good. But then, you know, obviously as time went on, NHRA, they expand the schedule, and then all of a sudden there's not time to be home, not time to have a California shop, and then all of a sudden, you know, being in Indianapolis made a lot more sense. And then obviously now, uh, I think when we first moved here, uh, we were on Gasoline Alley, and then uh, as Brownsburg opened up, that's where that's when, gosh, you know, that the whole place now. This is kind of um, Drag City, USA for <laughs> for all the teams. It's you know, it's not Indianapolis; it's Brownsburg. Everybody knows it as Brownsburg now, right? Well, you started off as as a mechanic. How do you work your way from mechanic to driver? How does that transition happen? Was everybody in the shop wanting to be a driver and you showed more initiative? Was it a goal that he knew he saw something in you that maybe this could be a potential? Well, in in that case, uh, I mean, great, great question. Perdome, he would, you know, when we had small teams then, I mean, literally there was three guys on the crew and then a crew chief and snakes. So there was like four of us. But he would take interest in his people. Like, what do you want to do? And, you know, someone would want to be crew chief. Some guy would want, yeah, I mean, I wanted to drive. And literally, you know, the time I was there, um, I was the only one that wanted to drive. So, you know, and then it's, you know, then there's the follow-up questions. Well, how are you going to get there? You know, whether it's crew chief or whatever like that driving. So me, it was uh, kind of moving up the ranks. I mean, I took my street cars and then be out at the track. And then I think one year uh, as a Christmas bonus, I got to go to Frank Holly school and drove an alcohol dragster. And then from there, it, it really was, I needed more seat time in an alcohol car uh, to move up. It, it, it seemed like most of the people at the time when I was doing it, you know, the, the Blaine Johnson's, the Pat Austin's, um, all, all three, Petragon brothers, you know, Cruz, uh, Tony and Frank, they all raced alcohol before they moved up to top fuel or funny car. So that's what I needed to do. So literally, um, I'm, this is the 1993 season. I ended up quitting snakes for, for that season. And I went and drove an alcohol car for the year and, and did that and just getting seat time. And it may be no different than, you know, you know, for a cup guy, You'd have uh, they'd go in Xfinity or the Truck Series before they move up to Cup or um, on the IndyCar be Indy Lights, you know, or Mazda or you know what, whatever the case is before you move up to the to the Pro Series. So that that's pretty much what I needed to do. So I spent that one season driving, not making any money, not making a living or anything like that. Pretty much just working on letting people know I could drive a car and not hit anything, not do anything <laughs> dumb, you know, but after that one season, I needed to go back to work, um, making money, money, you know, yeah, paying rent, those kind of things. And so you run the savings down, you run the credit cards up and then it's like, okay, reset. I know I can drive. Now I got to dive back in and figure out. I think from there, um, 
just at that point, and I didn't really have any hard plans of, say, going back to Don Perdome. This wasn't like this big master plan. It was just at the end of the 93 season, he had a terrible year. Like, I think he only won one or two rounds of race in the entire year. At the end of the 93 season, he announced that 94 was going to be his last year driving and he was going to retire after that but the entire team crew chief crew all of that everybody had quit gone done so he was starting from scratch got uh west cerny uh came over from the bernstein team and was gonna and they're hiring people well there again you know that that shop is in my hometown it would work really good for me i know the routine i'm good with it and so it was really but but when i went to snake to talk to him about dry, and it wasn't up he said it wasn't up to him i needed to talk to um, the crew chief. So I interviewed with the crew chief and it all worked good. So I ended up coming back to work there during that years when then it, uh, is how it kind of snowballed into me driving. There was a point where we wanted to go testing and snake wasn't available for the test. He had a prior commitment, uh, appearances. And so it was trying to find somebody that had a weekend off that could go, you know, drive the car. And then it, and it didn't have, the test didn't happen. Then there was kind of a, a strong conversation between Perdome and the crew chief, like, and basically I'm over there building short blocks and it's like, Hey, why don't you get that kid his license and you guys can go test anytime you want. And then that's kind of how it snowballed. So maybe three races into the season, we stayed after, which ended up being Gainesville stayed after the, the race. And I made licensing runs, got my license so they could test anytime they wanted. So, um, the test went really good. The car ran great, you know, and, Again, didn't do anything dumb, and uh, and Snake Snake liked it. You know, like watching like watching the car go down the track, and and so then that's kind of when it um, probably snowballed. Needed to find a sponsor still, which you know that's everybody that's not racing. That's their story. Which okay, I've got a job driving a top fuel car. If you have a sponsor, well, let me let me tell you, like that's pretty much the position I'm in right now. You know, like I mean, it's there. There's no guarantees on that so you got to find the funding but um miller brewing company was looking for a uh, um to get back into the nhra again so got a meeting with them and it just so happened after the the race right before the meeting um perdome had won it, it was brainerd um coming into the indy race and um took me in there and and kind of sold the whole deal and so we were with miller brewing company for 12 years so i mean it's a it's a long, long answer to your question, but that's pretty much <laughs> how no, it played I, I, out. I, well, I mean, I've always wanted to know that. I've, I've known you for quite a few years, and I remember your rookie season. I could be wrong on the channels, but I think it was TNN about that time oh, yeah. was airing yeah. live yep. drag racing. Yeah. And that was, a you know, my dad and I, we would, we would watch it. And sometimes, you know, you could tell that that caused problems with TV, you know, because somebody would go down the track, and that took a little longer, and, you know, they only had so much time. Sure. But here was this bright, fresh, young kid, you, and driving for the Perdone. I mean, and it was, I was an instant fan. My dad was, and I'm sure thousands of other people across the country. It was this young, fresh face that come from the background of being a mechanic to now working on the car. And I think that gives everybody a hope that maybe I can do that someday, whether whether it's racing or music or sprint cars or whatever acting you know you're in the kid in the play but i think that creates those dreams in people it's i tell people uh, i was definitely in the right place right time um 
for that for that opportunity. But I mean, whatever angle you got to get. When I I talk to kids, you know, how how can I get into drag racing? How can I get in the sport? How can I drive? And it's like. There, there's no right answer to it. You know, some some have a, a, a gift on marketing and can bring marketing partners and and bring that to the table to get the seat. Some have rich parents, you know, and that it's just they can go that route. You know, like me, I just I I didn't have either. You know, the the marketing wasn't as big a sell at the time when I was up and coming as it should have been, or I wish it was, but it really wasn't talked about as much. It's just. You know, try and show your stuff, and if you're good enough. And Snake took a uh, an interest in me and and bettering my career, so that that part worked uh, really really good. And the, the other part that I really liked is it kind of it it opened up the door. I think at the time for other people like a like a Joe Amato and a Kenny Bernstein and and, and the like that may not have looked at because most of most of them i'll say shirley muldowney and don garlish are the ones that come to the to the forefront of my mind when they're done racing the the team's done racing they don't continue on and and keep that as a business you know thinking of it as a business so i loved it because it, it seemed like once snake did it then you know joe amato did it and then you know kenny bernstein did it. And, and then so then up and coming people you know, we're, we're getting more opportunities. And I, and I, uh, I was really excited about that. Ron Caps for, you know, for the, the same thing. So, um, it, it, uh, that part of it, I was excited about cause it's like, you know, whether I'm driving the car or not, it's like, you want your sport to thrive and, and to have opportunities for people, um, to do. I, I mean, I have such a love for the sport, you know, I want, you know, if people want to be involved in the sport, it's, you know, how, how do you find a home for people, you know, where you want to be, you know, what do you want to do, you know, whether it's crewing or driving or uh, on the social media side or the PR side of things. I mean, there's, there's a lot of jobs out there, you know, it's just whether or not it's, it's a fit for you. Well, we're going to jump forward because we only got a half hour here on the show. So we're just going to kind of speed things up and I'm going to talk about, you've won three championships. Was it harder to win the first one or harder to win the third one? The uh, I guess looking back, another good question. Probably the first one because that one took my whole life. It seemed like the time <laughs> to get that first one, and I'd never been. You know, all the years that I crewed on the different teams, I was never part of a championship team. So it was just kind of like, I don't know, trying to like break the, you know, the sound barrier or something like that. I mean, it was just, you know, what's it take? You don't know what it takes until you do it, and and so that one was really hard. And then once you've won one, then you understand. I think better so what it takes to do it, what, what things to worry about, what things don't to uh, worry about. So that, that was uh, definitely because um, after winning the first one, we went back to back. So the following season, we won another one. So that, that was cool. And then a few years later, I ended up with the Allen Johnson team and ended up winning there. Um, that different formats. You know, when I was with Perdome, you, you got points all year long. And it, it seemed like when the opening race at the Winter Nationals, you're already counting points, and 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 you're not gonna you're not gonna cash them in until November, and that's February. But then, then uh, with Allen, it was the playoffs, so it's like you race two thirds of the year or three fourths of the year, and then you pretty much throw all your points away, reads reseed everybody, and go. And it's you know what's right or what's wrong. I have no idea. Um, I was I feel lucky that I've won them both ways. Um, I don't know what's I don't know what's right um you know i i do like that 
the points at the Winter Nationals matters, you know, uh, you know, and where you qualified in it all adds up. It really puts really puts a heat on you, a lot of stress. And um, but it seems like most I'll use the NFL. No, nobody seems to be bored with the NFL that they play all regular season and then they throw everybody in and you just keep winning. And, and you know, whoever wins the Super Bowl wins it. And it, you know, if it, if it went strictly on how you did during the regular season, you know, the New England Patriots would have a couple more championships that they don't have, you know, with the Giants coming along and doing it, you know, with the, you know, playing 500 ball basically beforehand. So um, I don't know. I just, uh, again, I don't know which way is right or wrong. I just feel lucky to have done it both ways. Okay. Now, this is going to air on Sunday. The, the U.S. Nationals mm-hmm. is going to be happening that day. Yeah. And you've won that four times. Yeah. How important is that to you? And if you had to pick, hey, Larry, we're going to give you one more opportunity, one more year to go racing. You can win another championship or you can win another U.S. Nationals. Which one would you rather win? Oh, I'd, I'd probably say win Indy for okay. sure. Yeah, okay. it's because uh, um, it's a – probably because it's meant more in my life you know a lot of years that my dad raced and he didn't race full-time in the full tour but we'd always tow back from california come back to indy and and race there and if you did well you kind of knew where you stacked up against the rest of the crowd um you know because at the time there it seemed like there was a hunt literally a hundred top fuel cars in the country so if you went rounds you knew you you're pretty good. So it, it, it ingrained something in me early on, you know, how important this event was. I, I never ever really thought about championships um, until really until I got with Perdome crewing on his cars and stuff. So that kind of came on later on. I'm, I'm glad I've done both. Um, but I, I don't know that my resume would be complete with you know, missing a chance, you know, championships or Indy it's, it's, but Indy, man, that's, that's the one, you know, it's, it's different now a little bit. I mean, the fact that they're, uh, they're racing on Sunday and not Monday, that, that's a little weird, you know, I guess for the purists and, but, um, you know, that's a lot of years, but I, you got to stick with the times. If everybody wants them to race on Sunday, then racing on Sunday, but it's still Indy. So, um, yeah, I'd take that one. Okay. With that being said, you don't live far from the track. How hard is it? And we're going to go into what you do here currently in just a minute. But how hard is it to not be racing at the U.S. Nationals? Looking at just what you just said. Oh, it's believe it or not, it's it's easy because it's the, you're um, you'd be like a a boxer if you're not if you're not training and you're not in the fight and you're not in 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 shape to to be out there to compete for those for that win I, I mean it's i'm i'm a realist at this point you know the the funding isn't in place and and the equipment and the people and all that so i i mean i can go out there and watch um you know i've got a lot of friends out there and i end up cheering for them and not really you know crying over my oatmeal or what the oats <laughs> you know about about not being out there not winning it's like i know if i had the opportunity i could do uh i think i could i could do pretty good but but it's not there but that that's okay you know there's i there's i raced a lot of years without actually driving the car you know so it's uh i don't know i'm i'm fine with it you know i just i i feel lucky 
feel really blessed, not even lucky, blessed at all the opportunities that I did get. You know, as a kid growing up in the sport, I, I just wanted to drive a top fuel car. Never really set my goals of winning Indy or winning championships. And I get to do all that stuff. So it's just uh, everything else that came along is just icing on the cake. Okay. Well, let's talk about what we, you currently do. You've got a two-seater. Yeah. Now, for the person listening that maybe isn't a drag racing fan, you're going to go zero to what, 250, 275? Yeah, it's a two-seat top fuel car. And it's really, I mean, it's not an original idea. I mean, Mario Andretti does it every year, right, at the at the 500. You know, you give somebody a ride in the car just so they can get a feel without the responsibility of actually wheeling that thing around the, the track. So um, it had... Uh, um, uh, Murph McKinney up in Lafayette design and, and build a two-seat top fuel car. And it's to take people, and insurance only lets us go to the eighth mile, so we're not making 300-mile-an-hour runs. But but we are going zero to um, 250, 260 mile an hour in a little over three seconds. So it's every bit a top, it's, it's not a dumbed-down Disneyland ride. It's, well, it's no, no. That's what I was. It's one hundred percent the real thing. I mean, we take the drivetrain out of our regular top fuel car, put it in that car, soften it up just a skosh to make sure that we can get the car down the racetrack, um, good and uh, yeah, give people rides. Yeah, Mario's not giving people rides at two hundred fifty miles an hour in three seconds. No, definitely not. <laughs> you know, and it's kind of funny because you know they do the commercials on TV and call it the fastest ride in motorsports, and I'm like, I beg to differ. <laughs> My car's a little faster than theirs. What's it like for the fan? Because I, I read something where, and I, I don't know when this was, but you had two people show up. One guy showed up in a private jet, so we're going to guess to say he's very wealthy. Sure. You had another person that wanted to do this, and yeah. it took him three years, and he saved $65 a week. Yeah. What did it feel? Did either one of them have a different feeling? Was the guy that got out that spent $65 a week for three years just as thrilled as the the millionaire that showed up in his private jet they they uh well the the private jet he's he's going for another ride he's our, he's our, so we're doing that later this year at uh, west palm beach and um the uh the guy that went that were, literally he works at a grocery store and and he knew how much it cost and it's not a it's not cheap because of insurance and everything it's almost a $10,000 ride but he 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 worked it out he figured out it'd take him $65 a week for 3 years as soon as those 3 when i announced that the debut of that car he started saving then for it when he saved his money he called me up and said i, I want to go where are you running at and it was memphis tennessee and so he met up and go he's i mean he's already hit me up hey i i I want to do this again. Like he, he's that ate up with it. And it's, uh, everybody's got a different story on what they did. I, I took Daryl Russell's, which Daryl Russell, I, uh, raced with, uh, with him for quite a few years and, and he lost his life, uh, uh, on track at, at, at St. Louis. And I took his dad for a ride and his dad did it so he could get close to his son. And it was like, I can, I can tear up right now talking about it, that, that it meant that much. But every single person that we take for a ride has got a different story of why they're doing it. And I just love that I'm getting to share that experience with them. So um, we, we ran the car a couple weeks ago up in Martin, Michigan. And, and we're going um, again, uh, I think we're going up to Martin, Michigan next weekend. And then, uh, you know, we got a few times down in Florida. We've got an NHRA at, early on. They were all about it. And then they... Uh, uh, re- reverse their position on it. So I have to, uh, 
I have to work around that at different racetracks, uh, non-NHRA racetracks to be able to go. So I don't do anything local here. We'll go to Michigan and go to Illinois. Go to um, There's a couple of tracks in Indiana we can go to, but um, we'll spend the winter down in Florida and uh, have some fun and, and uh, knock some uh, – um, the ultimate bucket list item would be a ride in a top fuel car. So we'll that, try that would be that would be the <laughs> ultimate bucket list. I usually wanted to get and talk about hobbies and um, you know charities, but one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, and I'm trying to find my notes here, but you got inducted coming up here. Yeah. And to the American, my Santa, the American the the motor, the, 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 motor, the, motor uh, I, the Motorsports Hall of Fame of America of America, and and they're um, they're down. It's actually based at Daytona at the Speedway um, in the museum right there at the Speedway. Yeah, so I'm getting inducted this year. That's how uh, exciting is that? It's uh, it's humbling for one because of all the heroes that are in my heroes that are in there, and uh, get to tag along with them. So. Um, for sure. It, it, it's an, it's a neat deal. It's way more than I ever, again, you know, thought about it, of my position in the sport. So it's uh, it's really cool, but I'm going in with, uh, Davey Allison. I'm going in with Nikki Hayden. Um, you know, great people, Robin Miller. Um, he, he's part of this year's class, which, you know, I'm, you know, yeah. like I'm, I'm bummed that he ain't going to be there, you know, like we just lost him and it just, uh, um, but it's really, uh, it, it, it's a cool deal. They've already announced next year's class, and it's going to have my my uh, old crew chief Dick LaHaye is going in. So I'm I'm really uh, I'm excited. I'm very proud um, to be a that's, part that's of that a class. Pretty big class. Oh I mean, my of, gosh. of yeah. just great racers. I mean, from all different walks. Yeah, and and they're they're doing two classes uh, because of COVID. What happened? So the uh, the 2020 class is going in as well. Um, and uh, Rick Hendrick is is going in. I Ivan the Ironman Stewart. Uh, so I mean, it's just a lot of people that I've looked up to in motorsports, and I get to hang out with them for one day. It's pretty neat. Well, another time we'll talk about your hobbies <laughs> and your charities because we're going to run out of time here. One of the the things I want you to be able to tell the tell the listening audience, your fans, besides running the two seater, you said you run some exhibition racing, and then where can the fans find you on social media yeah we, well we have a regular top fuel car because i always wanted to have that option if somebody went for a ride in the back seat and they said hey i want to go faster or want to do it myself and it's like yeah we've got a regular car you can do that too but we also we've run a few match races so i got a turnkey top fuel car that you know if we had the funding we could have run this weekend here at indy um that wasn't the case but um but so we'll go and do some uh match races kind of exhibition races uh around the area a little bit so i went to uh, cordova over last weekend world series of drag racing a couple weeks ago ran the old popular hot rodding meet at martin michigan so um so we do that just to um to have have a little bit of fun kind of a busman's holiday so to speak um but uh for for people that want to get a hold of me or um look look more at the two-seater and stuff like that you you can pretty much go to my website um larrydixon.com or any of the social media stuff i mean i'm on you know twitter uh facebook uh, Instagram as well. And uh, I don't have this huge marketing team that handles it. So it's like, if you write in and ask a question, I'm the guy that's going to answer. So <laughs> I'd be happy to uh, take care of you. Do you have a pick for this Sunday as a winner? 
Oh gosh, how do you how do you bet against Steve Torrance? It seems like he's been wiping the table up with everybody. But um, you know, there, there's a few teams there that are keeping him honest. Um, you know, one one being obviously Brittany Force. Uh, you know, Dave Grubnick's a crew chief on that car, and he's got that car running really good. Um, it, it's uh, uh, I don't know. And, and as far as funny car goes, um, it'd be cool to see Caps win. I mean, Caps has been racing as long as I've been racing and hasn't won Indy yet. It'd be nice to see him uh, finally pull that car into victory lane. Okay. Well, this has been Sights and Sounds. I've been your host, Alan Kiger. Larry Dixon has been my guest today. I really want to thank you, Larry, for taking the time, being here, showing up. Uh, usually we do musicians. We've, we've nailed three racers, so I feel privileged that you're – and one of them was Allenzer Jr. And, oh, and now you're going to be in the same club with, with him down in Daytona. Yeah, I, so I got his poster on my wall at my race shop. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I think a uh, little Al. So that's uh, that's neat. I really appreciate you having me on the show, though. Thank you. You've been listening to Sights and Sounds with Alan Kiger, sponsored by Hawkeye Storage in Danville. And don't forget, if you miss a broadcast, you can hear the podcast at sightsandsoundspromotions.com, where Alan hangs out with music royalty. 